had one professor from University of Nevada in Las Vegas who was working on a Colorado plateau and had discovered a pictograph from prehistoric humans that they thought there was no humans there. And he scanned it with his phone. You can use your phone to make 3D objects really fast now, polycam, scanners. And then he brought it into reach and then he filmed himself. You can do it in front of a green screen, a simple thing as that if you want to. You can use these other tools as well. And talked about, gave a lecture about why this pictograph was so special on this plateau. So he assembled it very quickly, this plateau. And then students could come into reach and walk around the pictograph, this rock, this area that otherwise is now off limits because it's so special. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. I don't know if you heard the news, but you you have been selected as the second best podcast co-host. <laughs> uh, second best to Mike Jones, right? Uh, Our well, podcast producer. I'd rather in... not say. I'd rather not say. <laughs> as long as it's him and not you, I'm good. <laughs> you can't offend me. Glad to be here. For our listening audience, if you didn't get a chance to catch our podcast last week, you're going to want to go back and tune in because today this is part two with Dr. Nani De La Pena. We're so glad to have you back, Dr. De La Pena. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and uh, and uh, keep keep discussing my favorite topic. <laughs> All right, listeners, we're diving in. In and your projects, empathy plays a serious role. Why is this so important to storytelling? I think my son, he's now 20, but so this was a long time ago, eight years ago. I think he said that maybe he was 10 even. If you're there, if you're in that headset and you're there, you feel like this could happen to you too. And in some way, I think that's the connection, right? That humans are certainly social animals, that that kind of sense of, of connection to each other is what glues us. But that being on scene I think makes you really understand somebody else's story in a way that, frankly, I, I truly believe that no other medium affords. Mm. I've done this enough now. I've made enough pieces. I've made them with PBS Frontline. I've made them with Nova. I've made them with New York Times has brought my stuff, Wall Street Journal. I've done this with major news organizations. And I would say that these pieces still have a more engaged people in a way that they really deepen their connection and they deepen their understanding. And frankly, if it's the right story and it's told right, you really do have a way to connect via empathy for other people when you use these headsets mm. that I think is unique. Yeah. And I think one, one reason it's exciting to us is we primarily work in online education. And so being able to be on the ground and just be present with somebody is difficult in that online environment, but it does allow students an opportunity through the VR headsets to feel presence and immediacy. Mm. So it's, it's just exciting that technology. Absolutely. Is there for Absolutely. us? Absolutely. We're just getting started. Just getting started. I always say real touch is not going to replace, <clears throat> sorry, tech touch is not going to replace real touch. We don't think of the telephone as having, it can have, it can, just having people's voices as you're doing this podcast can be very powerful. It's radio did not, television didn't get rid of radio or 
podcasts. Television didn't replace film. We just have a new tool that is going to get more and more robust and super powerful as a way to connect. Absolutely. Some of our faculty will tune into this and they'll hear like the evidence that you shared about reached out love and they'll hear these examples and your heart, your empathy, and they'll want to take part in it, but they don't have the background that you have with the technology and the coding. And I know you said some of these new technologies don't require coding, but how far away are we from just your everyday, or let's just say new faculty member being able to have an idea or a vision of how to bring their content to life for their students and actually being able to make that happen in a VR setting. Is it something they can do or do they need to partner with somebody who has that skill set? Where are we at? I welcome anybody who's listening to the podcast to poke around at reach.love. We've got some pretty good documentation. We're making some bug fixes right now too. We're always making it better. In fact, we're working on putting some AI tools directly to reach as well. If you're going to make something super robust, you're going to probably still need help from artists and engineers. But if you um, want to tinker, you can start making stuff today. There's lots and lots of ways to do it. Luma Labs has something called Genie now, and it is a text to 3D model. You can type in, give me a gingerbread boy, and it'll give you a 3D model of a gingerbread boy. So you don't have to actually know how to even make these tools anymore. Now, a gingerbread boy may not be useful for uh, an academic course, but that's just happening. This is just happening so fast. Mm. That said, what is the story you want to tell? How are you going to make sure it's, it's conveying the uh, educational information you want? And that's why with REACH, you can try to start assembling these pieces. The more robust you want to be, then you're going to want to move to the larger game engines right now. REACH is really just a labor of love for me. And it, it hasn't had the investment that major companies have had, but it worked pretty darn well. So if you want to tell some stories, I'd love to uh, see uh, what you do. I had one professor from University of Nevada in Las Vegas who was working on a Colorado plateau and had discovered a pictograph from prehistoric humans that they thought there was no humans there. And he scanned it with his phone. You can use your phone to make 3D objects really fast now, polycam, scanners. And then he brought it into reach. And then he filmed himself, because you can do it in front of a green screen, a simple thing as that if you want to. You can use these other tools as well. And talked about, gave a lecture about why this pictograph was so special on this plateau. We, so he assembled it very quickly, this plateau. And then the students could come into reach and walk around the pictograph, this rock, this area that otherwise is now off limits because it's so special. And so he could give a asynchronous lecture and they could come and walk around the actual rock. And immediately he conveyed his lecture in a way that was much more visceral, better understood. He built it really quickly. And it was simple pieces, filmed his lecture yeah. on front of a green screen that you can just throw up in your living room and took this model rock and then provided who these people were, what they knew really fast. Mm -hmm. So that's a kind of example of how uh, easily professors can use this tool. I'm sensing a theme here from the work you do, using VR to really bring people together, to connect them with one another. Yeah, this is absolutely one of the things I'm doing. We're just working at Arizona State University where I got tapped recently, I got asked to start a new center on narrative and emerging media, but in Los Angeles, which is interesting. Oh, wow. We have a couple of buildings in downtown LA, and I'm creating this whole new center. We just graduated our first cohort of students, graduate students, and my student actually ended up at the Venice Film Festival premiering its project there after winning South by Southwest, et cetera. It's already working quite well, but 
we're starting something what we call a lab of civic affection mm -hmm. in order to let people collaborate from different walks of life to make each other's homes or spaces they want to share. So I could help you build your living room and we'll build it together. And then I can walk around your living room and you'll help me build my whatever kitchen. I don't know, whatever it is, dorm room, favorite yeah. street corner. And then not only do we get to share each other's spaces, but we've co-collaborated mm -hmm. on the creation process so that it's not like oh, I got to walk around your space and then I go. I've actually still have invested in it being seen by other people because we've done it together. And I think this idea of how do we use these technologies in a robust way is really exciting. So another theme in the work you do is immersive storytelling. What are some emerging trends that you find to be most exciting? I know I opened the show talking about Gaussian splats, which I find a super exciting new way for immersive trends to be going. But there's some really wild stuff being done on sound that you feel. So actually frequencies you might not hear, but you might feel them. You know what a big deep bath does, sound does to your body. So if we're able to think about haptics and maybe you haptics to sound, one of our other labs at my new center is what we call a haptics for inclusion lab. And we, with the International Documentary Association, identified nine disabled filmmakers. And now they're coming in and they're using haptics to tell their stories for you to understand their, the stories they want to tell. I know we're doing a prototype using sensors in a couch so you can sit down and be in somebody else's body while you're in the headset. So this is another part of my uh, efforts to include, right? And this is why I, ASU brought me in or, or why I joined after running my own company for so long it was this idea that the charter is you're measured by who you include and not who you exclude and how they succeed. And it's that inclusion that, as you pointed out, to connect people is and has been one of my goals all the way through my journalistic career. Mm -hmm when I taught myself to code, to make hunger in Los Angeles, all the way through the goals have been these kind of connections. And so it's been really fun to be at ASU and start to do this. So I welcome any students who've worked with professors who want to come and get a master's degree in these kind of arena, we would welcome it. I think Tiffany and I will be signing up for that. So very recruited <laughs> junior students today. I know our next question was, uh, for those aspiring to enter the world of journalism, what advice do you have? But I selfishly almost want to change it to, for those aspiring to enter the world of immersive education, mm. what advice do you have? And first and foremost, getting some tours set up sounds like a really reasonable next step. Yeah, come on down. Come on to LA. <laughs> yeah, if it's freezing where you are, it's a little warmer out here. Anyway, so yeah, it's both. If you're entering journalism and immersive education, there's a nice overlap there, right? Because we're both dealing in the nonfiction space. And I think that, that what people don't even really realize is how significant the tool in their pocket is already for telling immersive stories. You don't even have to have a LiDAR camera anymore, where most of these more advanced phones all had LiDAR cameras to let you capture in 3D. But now you can just use photographs and the algorithms will stitch this stuff together for you. So if you need to display something between that and Gaussian splats, Right now, those are static, but the Apple Vision Pro is offering, apparently, some capturing three-dimension with video that'll play back on their headset. My advice is you start looking at this and saying, hey, hang on, these new immersive tools and technologies are advancing very quickly, 
And the display opportunities are also moving forward. It's hard to imagine what the iPhone was like. You couldn't even, I think the first one, I don't think you can even take photos on the first iPhone. I can't remember. You certainly couldn't record video. And that feels ubiquitous. It feels like it's always been there. This is what we are now. We're really marching, continue to march forward in capturing and playing back our real world as it actually is. And for both education and for journalism. Those are really interesting and important steps forward that you should embrace instead of letting it scare you. Now, normally we invite our guests to hold on to the digital to learn magic wand, predict something into the future. I have a sense that you've already been holding on to that magic wand for several <laughs> years. But there must be something that you're thinking about for the future that you could create by waving that magic wand. What would it be? I know. I feel like we're so close now to being able to record video into three dimensions, right? That to me was one of the biggest magic wands that I wanted, right? And that technologically, I feel like we're so close to achieving that, that that almost feels like not a prediction for me anymore. Mm -hmm. But if I, the magic wand really for me is, can we use this as a way to really bring our world back together that feels right now there's just so much division all around the globe we have a, a community among our xr group we call it xr because it's virtual reality augmented reality extended reality it's, so we were trying to figure out a com combination word and right now the vernacular we're calling it is xr and frankly we've been talking about getting together as a web xr for world peace so there you go there's my last yeah. thing is hoping that we look into the future and that will be it'll be an opportunity for people to connect in ways that can bring us back together again i do have one final question and that is how anna maria became nani yeah apparently when i was a little kid we were very young i couldn't even say my own name anna Anna, Anna, Nani. Somehow it became Nani, right? Oh, so wow. apparently I started calling myself that when I was very little. But here was the, here's the fun little, okay, if you have any of this in you. I was looking through, when my grandmother passed, I was looking through her Bible. And I didn't know that she had an older sister who died at age six months. And her name in the Bible was Nani. Had no oh, idea. There you go. Wow. There you go. Yeah, I'm the second chance. I'm the second chance. Anyway. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> who knows? Right. That's where it comes from. That's amazing. That's where it comes from. What a thrill to and have who you knows with my grandmother had to do that too. What a thrill to have you here. Thank you. Oh, your vision for yes. the future and the present is amazing. So thank you. I'm absolutely so grateful that you have invited me to come this morning. And thank you so much for your time. And I hope it was valuable for your listeners. Oh, I'm sure it was. And to our listening audience, we are going to be featuring some links to some of the website and resources that were suggested today on this episode. So please check our Podbean site for more information and to check out the work, the continuing work of Dr. De La Pena. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with a new guest and topic on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.